you're listening to the Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. Hello, my friends. Welcome into another episode of the Bible Nerd Podcast. Continuing our series um, on what's with the age of the earth today. We're going to be talking about the letter A in our Adam acronym, a, a truly risen savior. But before we do that, we're going to go back, look at some of what we've covered in the past few weeks. If you are just tuning in now, I do want to encourage you to actually go back, listen to those previous episodes. I think they've got some really, really helpful information and context in them. Again, we'll do a brief review here, uh, but It'd be best to go back and listen to those episodes if you have not already. All right, so by way of review, broadly speaking, there are three creation views as it relates to the biblical data. Young age, old age, and no age. So young age is that six to 10,000 year time frame. Old age would be that 4.5 billion year old for the earth and then 13.8 billion for the universe, sort of conventional scientific dating. And then no age would be people who who's you know, most of them would have views scientifically, but biblically, they don't think that the Bible says anything at all about the age of the earth or the age of creation or, or anything that would give us pertinent details about that. They don't think there's anything scientific in the Bible at all in terms of that it's dealing with anything scientific. And so these are a, a broad look at all three of those views. And so we talked about that. And then we looked at like, who really cares about this issue at all? Right? Didn't this debate get fought a long time ago? Why did it get fought? And we we talked about the history of the debate over uh, the centuries and the millennia of Jewish and Christian thought, and then also how sort of these ideas uh, really became a a mainstream concern for Christians after around the 1700s when geologists started positing that the Earth really could be 4.5 billion years old, or or you know maybe not that old. They they didn't fathom at that time, but rather that there was just a long history of of evolution and and time that went into forming the uh the the earth and then in in modern days with radiometric dating and everything that number is now settled in around 4.5 billion years for the earth and then 13.8 for the universe so we talked about that and and then we got into um really the main thrust of the issue, which is looking at why anyone should uh, should really care why why it really truly matters that the Bible has something to say about this and what it has to say about it. And so we started with our ADAM acronym with A, which was the accuracy of the biblical account. We looked at why we think it, it matters, you know, legitimately to uh, to a Christian, whether or not the Bible says anything about this. And we looked at that, it, you know, part of that reason is because if the Bible is going to be seen as true, if we're going to trust the Bible for what it says, then there's something in this issue that could affect how we look at the truthfulness of the Bible itself. And then we went and looked at the issue of death before the fall. And we looked at the question that my friend Stephen Loy likes to ask, and we're going to reference some of his work again today. And the question he asks is, well, which came first? Was it Adam or was it death? Did death precede the fall of man and thus man's fall into sinfulness and, and wickedness, or was death a judgment that resulted from the entrance of man's sin and wickedness into the world? And again, whichever view that you take of creation is actually going to have huge implications for where you land with the death before the fall issue. So it really does matter. 
And that brings us to where we're talking today, which is letter A. Now, this is arguably the crux of the matter in total. Maybe this should even be the first A in the ADAM acronym. I'm not, I'm not sure. But it really, really does matter. And this particular episode and this, this part of the, of the framework here deals with Jesus. And that's why it's the most important. How does, how does Jesus, the person of Christ in whom we place our trust, who died on the cross for us, for our sins, who, who took our shame, who took our blame, who took our sin upon himself, what does the creation issue have to do with him? Now, I'm actually going to you know, place to the side issues about statements that he made. There is a, a case I think you can make in scripture for dealing with some of the statements that he made and how they relate to creation. I did write about that on the website and I will link that up in the show notes for you where you can go um, check that out. Uh, the title of the blog that I wrote was, was something along the lines of, you know, why Jesus was a young earth creationist. Um, and so I think you should definitely go check that out. I point some of those things out. But in this episode, though, I want to look more carefully at, at the why it matters as it relates to Jesus. And that is that Jesus is a truly risen Savior. Okay, he is a truly phys, uh, risen Savior. And I should add to that, he is a truly physically risen Savior. If there's anything at all that a Christian believes, it's that Jesus died, was buried in the ground for three days, or in, the, in his tomb for three days, and then he rose again. Physically, not spiritually. These were not spiritual appearances that he was making to people. We believe in the physical death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A Christian who claims to not believe that is not a Christian. They cannot be because it is a denial of what Jesus has done on the cross. And the crux of the matter is that the, the connecting line here, it's both logical and it's what biblical writers wrote. And that is that because Adam died physically, so Christ must rise physically. Insofar as our sin is in Adam and our redemption is in Christ, there is a genealogical link between them. There, there must be a biological link between them. We are talking about an inseparable link, the death of one and then the rising of the other. Romans 5 talks about this. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this. These are both chapters that you should read to really get an understanding of how Paul sees the connection between Adam and Christ. It is, it is this undeniable connection that forces William Lane Craig in his recent works to place Adam as a real, physical human being that lived around 750,000 years ago. You see, Dr. Craig is committed to an old age timeline. He has been very openly vocal, a, a critic of, of young age creationism. And yet he's overwhelmed by the evidence, both in scripture, that biblical writers saw Adam and drew those logical connections as a physical uh, person who existed in history. And he's also been persuaded by the scientific evidence, by the way, scientific evidence that young age creationists have actually been pointing out for quite some time uh, that humans 
and Neanderthals and, and even Denisovans are so closely related. And 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 and, and Neanderthals and Denisovans have this have all the characteristics of of human beings. And young age creationists have been saying for all this time, yes, they are basically one in the same, right? A a a a uh, Neanderthal was very much like a modern Homo sapien in its behaviors, in its rituals, in its in its you know, in its actions, in the way it thought, right? It's the same. And so Dr. Craig is forced to conclude they are human, but since he is committed to a old age time frame, he wants to put humans legitimately back in the garden, Adam, 750,000 or so years ago. Now, obviously I don't believe that, but how compelling that after an extensive study, the case biblically and scientifically was so strong for the physical humanity of Adam, and in conjunction, of course, with the physical humanity of Jesus, that that commitment was made. Many, again, who take that no-age camp especially, are somewhat indifferent about this. Some of them believe in a historical Adam. Some of them uh, do not. But we see its importance. Now, as we dive into this, I, I want to read a somewhat lengthy excerpt from a, a friend of mine. Again, I mentioned him already, Dr. Stephen Lloyd. And this is from his paper, uh, chronological creationism. Now, we discussed this paper on the episode that I mentioned last week, the Adam or death, which came first, uh, uh, that we talked about a, a while back. Um, and this was around the 100s uh, episode of the podcast. You can go back and listen to it if you want to. Uh, but I'm gonna, I want to quote from the paper he wrote that that episode was based on as it relates to this piece of the issue. He says this, quote, in evolutionary history, Physical death has always been present. And just to, to clarify, this is me breaking in now, just to clarify, when we use the word evolutionary, just like I said last week, we're going to use that term to stand in for conventional dating as it relates to billions of years. Even if you're not an evolutionist, you believe that. And so that's the evolutionary conventional timeline. So that terminology is going to be used here. Okay. So quote, in evolutionary history, physical death has always been present. Indeed, it is essential for the development of life. If that chronology is assumed, then the death sentence announced on sin in Genesis 2.17 cannot include physical death, since it was already in existence. But that then raises the problem of why physical death is assumed without comment to be a consequence of sin throughout the Old Testament. For example, 1 Samuel 12.19. And even more seriously, why Jesus had to die physically on the cross. If physical death is intrinsic to our humanity, then the Lord's Supper, symbolizing a physically broken body and shed blood, becomes a celebration of Jesus's incarnation, not his atonement. It also makes a nonsense of the resurrection as a victory over the enemy, physical death, 1 Corinthians 15, 26. If physical death has always been present, we find Jesus conquering what he himself made as an enemy at the beginning, I'm going to repeat that that line here. This is me breaking in because it's so important. If a, if if physical death has always been present, we find Jesus conquering what he himself made as an enemy at the beginning. Continuing, that makes the story of the Bible, the gospel, incoherent. My argument is not theological speculation, but based on the explicit teaching of the New Testament. The physical suffering and death of Christ is repeatedly linked to payment for sin. It's Colossians 1.22, 1 Peter 2.24, Hebrews 10.10, 10, and 1 Corinthians 15.3. 
And this is explained in terms of the storyline in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, quote, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, unquote. Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the solution, is linked to the problem of death through Adam's sin. Given that the resurrection includes new physical life, Adam's sin must have led to physical death. The sentence of death includes the suffering and decay that leads to death. Our bodies, part of physical creation, need redemption, Romans 8.23, presumably because they are too affected by the curse on sin. Jesus speaks of needing to suffer and die, Mark 8.31. His atoning death for sin is linked to the healing of disease, Matthew 8.17, and his healing miracles were to undo the consequences of sin rather than being the actions of a bad architect patching up what he had made in the beginning. This argument centered on the cross requires that death and disease were absent from the original creation that was declared very good in Genesis 1.31 before Adam's sin. It is after Adam's sin that death and violence become a repeated feature of the narrative. Genesis 3.19, 4.8, 15, 23, 5.31, and 6.5-7. End quote. So you see the importance here of, of this linkage between the two. Scripture is very clear that the, the wages, the penalty for sin, is death. This death was not present in the beginning. Now, again, someone might object, but 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 wait a minute. But that was just human death, right? Well, again, what constitutes a human starts to get really, really, really fuzzy, okay, when you start taking old age positions. Uh, for example, Dr. Hugh Ross, who's been mentioned many times throughout the series in his organization, I believe still maintain that Neanderthal was not human that of any kind, that it was beast, and that therefore humans engage in bestiality because we have plenty of physical evidence of Neanderthal DNA in our genes. Were, were early humans just breeding with other similar humans? Or were early humans breeding with beasts? And what does that mean? What are the implications of that for the bloodline of of Adam and his descendants? It's it's just really horrific to think about some of the things that you have to maintain when you want to slide into some of these old age views. So also what's interesting is that Genesis 1, 29 and 30 or is it 128 and 29? I can never remember. Uh, but they talk about you know humans and animals alike being vegetarian in the very beginning. This is so clearly laid out in the scriptures in the, in the very beginning when all this was happening. And so we must either accept it or reject it is what it comes down to. So there is this linkage in scripture between death that had entered into the world and sin. The whole creation groans, that's Romans 8, 22. And it is awaiting that redemption. And that that groaning is a result not of creation, but is a result of sin's entrance into the world. Moreover, Dr. Lloyd says this, quote, if being in Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, is not rooted in the ontological foundation of physical descent from him, then how do I know who is included in the humanity that he represents? And who is the humanity that Jesus came to save? Jesus was born into the family line of Adam, Luke 3, 23-37. Hebrews 2, 14-17 explains that Jesus assumed the flesh he came to save. But if I am not a descendant of Adam, 
then the flesh, the humanity that Jesus assumed, would be different to mine. He, he would not be my kinsman redeemer, to use the imagery of the book of Ruth. Surely the gospel rests on the reality that in the incarnation, Jesus assumed our humanity, not just any humanity. Similarly, in Genesis, it is from Eve, the mother of all living, that the descendant will come to crush the serpent's head. Close quote. So here's the bottom line. If we deny a historical Adam, then there is clear theological reason to doubt the need for a truly risen Christ. And the implications that that has for the gospel is just insane. It's just incredible. And I think it, it hardly requires me to belabor the point. It's understandable. No human Adam, no human Jesus. And if we're going to have a human Adam, then I believe to be consistent with all of the data, we must be a young age creationist, okay? It requires that because if death, the death of human awards or, or whatever was present before the fall, then the enemy that Jesus is conquering is the one he created in the very beginning. And that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Jesus is responding to sin, taking on sin and death. Why would he have created the very thing that he needed to come to rescue, to be that way from the beginning? And we understand free will, free creatures, humanity. Like we understand that, that, that God did allow things to come into the world, but for God to create death and then concrete in the end, to me, that's like stacking the deck. That doesn't make logical sense. And it makes the biblical storyline and the gospel incoherent. Now, again, we, we talked about this a little, but one caveat would be that most of the views still teach a historical Adam uh, precisely for these theological reasons, right? And, and so, but what they teach is not really what's at issue. What they imply is the question. And so examples would be that the no-age view is usually going to find its supporters affirming deep time and evolution, which implicitly is going to deny a historical Adam. Now, there are some people who have tried to get around this. Joshua Swamidas is a recent example. There are issues. I don't have time to go all into his book. Uh, his book is called The Genealogical Adam and Eve. You can check that out. My understanding of it is there are issues uh, theologically with it. There are also issues scientifically with it. There are issues biblically with it. Uh, so uh, to me, it's not a sound um, refutation of this idea. But just know that it's not like no one has ever responded to this. You know, there are people who would take that no-age view of Scripture who still think that these things can work out and that even that there was a historical Adam. But again, broadly speaking, most people are going to deny a historical Adam, or maybe not even most, but many people who take these views are going to deny a historical Adam. And if they want to affirm a historical Adam, now they have to deal with some very interesting issues when it relates to, again, the biblical genealogies we talked about already. And they have to deal with the scientific data that is overwhelming and abundant about Neanderthals and Denisovans simply being human beings, placing them 750,000 years ago, especially, you know, reconciling that with the Bible and science is just a super super difficult point of view. And that was actually my second example. It's, you know, the old age views require one to play fast and loose with the biblical and scientific data. Um, and Adam, right, around 750,000 years old, or like we mentioned, humans who committed bestiality with non-human Neanderthals and Denisovans. I mean, neither of these make any sense biblically or scientifically. The most coherent view is that God created a good, good world 
in the very beginning. God also created free creatures who wanted him to love him and something went horribly wrong. They sinned. They introduced sin into the world. As a consequence of their sin, death entered into the world and death passed upon all men and death passed into the whole creation. That's Romans 8, 22. The whole creation is, is travailing in pain, waiting for its redemption. You see, if the creation is awaiting its redemption, what is it being redeemed from? Its creation? No, it's not being redeemed from its creation, how God created it. It's being redeemed from its corruption, how man corrupted it. That's what's going on here, okay? And this only makes sense on a young age view that is faithful to the text as it is clearly stated. That's all I have for you today. A little bit of a shorter episode, but again, I think it's hardly necessary to belabor the point. It's very clear that in order for a truly risen savior to have been the case, there needs to be that linkage with Adam. And I think you can only get that consistently on a recent creation, young age creationist view. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it was helpful to you. And I can't wait to talk to you on the next one. All right, see y'all then.